Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Michael Gruen, the VP of Engineering at Cybrary, and we discuss building an engineering team from the ground up, how communication through Slack can sometimes lead to misunderstandings, and the personal side of the people you work with. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Man, I'm excited. We're just going to hang out and talk if that's cool. That is cool. Everybody from Cyberary that I've talked to is like really great. So I talked to your founder, investors, and so there's a lot of a lot of hype for you coming on the show. <laughs> wow. Um, well, get, I, I hope you're ready for disappointment. So yes. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh man! So, so you actually went into the office for this? Uh, not entirely. I wanted to get the microphone because I'm recording a bunch of podcasts, mm -hmm. and uh, so figured I'd, I'd if I was going to be home for a while, I'd do that. And then it was one of those like, well, I don't want to take the risk of. I had a bunch of other meetings, so I figured I'd just stay here for the day. But yeah, on the plus side, also uh, at home, I have two kids who are on Zoom all the time for school. So hopefully, from a bandwidth perspective, this works out much better. <laughs> oh, so they're doing their school through Zoom? Yeah. Yeah. Not all day, just a few meetings and so like just a periodically throughout the day. That's interesting. So the teacher is just like flipping on a camera and talking to all the students? Uh yeah, I mean, sure. Let's not I don't I could go all day. Like that's that's a different podcast of like how our public school systems <laughs> effing suck. Is this being recorded right now? Is oh this... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> It's fine. Everybody knows my opinion. Uh, but yeah, I'm, let's talk about it, man. I was not a fan of public schooling system at all. And so if you would have told me in high school that I'd end up working at like an education company, I would laugh at you. I'd be like, no, I'm against education. This is not going to happen. See, that's interesting because I always had going through school, I always had these like notions of if I was a teacher, this is how I would do it. And if I had the opportunity to make changes and there was like this little part of me that's always been in the back of my head of like at some point in my career like if i don't need the money and i i, I still want to work um going into teaching was was one of those things i sort of had in the back of my head uh now that i have kids of my own the idea of dealing with any aged child uh that's not my own is not appealing so i think i think i'm done with that idea unless i was doing college level that's true i didn't even think about that See, I just got all the way through school. I got, um, why aren't you like your brother? So I have a brother who's, <laughs> who's two grades ahead of me. And we went through all the, my you know, parents are on the PTA board or whatever. So we went through all the same classes, all the same teachers. And then they started saying, you know, why aren't you like, why aren't you like Mitch? And I'm like, well, you know, we're two different people, like for one. And, you know, he went on and became a doctor and did very well. And uh, it's just like his route, like he really liked the schooling route. I did not like the schooling route. And I, I mean, I'd, I, liked the I liked learning what I wanted to learn. So I would basically mm -hmm. shrug off school all day and then go home and learn computer things or games or whatever it may be. I didn't dislike learning. I just wanted to learn what I wanted to learn, what I was interested in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for me, it was the... Um, I had almost the exact experience. I have an older brother and an older sister. My older brother... I think he knew this. He figured out the system. Um, I wish I had done it the way he did it, which was do well enough but not so well. So like stay off the radar, but like get good grades. Um, my sister was a total overachiever. And so when I came along and I was a total slacker, they, it was like, why can't you be more like Jen? Stuff like that. So definitely know how you feel. What I found most frustrating was all the pencil drill stuff. Like when I thought about if I could do it differently, and it's actually very related to what we're doing at Cyberary, having like a pre-assessment, if I had a pre-test, like for earth science and I get a hundred on the pretest, why do I need to do any of the other work, like the homework or whatever else? If I know the material, I know the material. And so I always thought the idea of being able to be sort of tested and not having to do the, those drills. Cause what homework is, it's supposed to be a way of reinforcing the learning. And if you already have it reinforced, if you already know it, you, you could be spending that time learning something new rather than just doing homework. That was sort of my feeling back then. Yeah, there was also a narrative that like, if you could not do well at what we're telling you, you need to understand, then you will not do well in life. Like we just basically told that to a whole generation of kids. Like if you cannot get an A or B on this, you're not going to do well in life. And that's not true at all. 
Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it was more if you don't do the work, you're not going to do the work later in life. Like you're going to have a bad work ethic and you're going you're gonna to fail. Actually, I had two different types of teachers. I had the type of teacher that got me and was super positive, really understood what motivated me and would give me additional outside, like other work and be like, yeah, you don't have to do this, do this other thing um, because it's more interesting or more creative or whatever it is. And then I had the teachers that just absolutely hated me and were the ones who were like, no, you have to do it my way and more focused on homework and just that type of stuff. So I had a math teacher who like knew I was into computers and like making little technologies and things. And he could tell I wasn't into the class at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he actually, and I think back as is crazy. So this was probably like right when like the Nokia phones came out, but he had let me, he asked me what I was interested in. I told him at the time I was talking with Jake about this before the podcast. Uh, I was doing like some hack, learning how to hack through some books I had purchased at the computer store. And I had come across this like sub seven thing and like you could generate, you know, like script kitty payload type deal. And uh, I told him I was interested in, and I was like trying to get into people's computers. And he's like, oh, that's really interesting. He's like, you could actually get in my computer. I said, yeah. I said, here, take this CD. It's got a bunch of pictures <laughs> on it, put it in your computer. And then tonight I'm going to get into your computer. And it was hilarious because like he was, he let me do that. And obviously I at the time, like nobody had any concept of any of this stuff. But the fact that that guy stuck in my head, I don't remember his name, but he stuck in my head as like one of the few people that had saw that I was actually really interested in dedicating time to something else and encouraged it, even though it wasn't in his, he wasn't like, you have to learn this algebra. He was like, what, right. I'm just going to encourage you to, to pursue whatever you're on fire about. So that's really, that's really interesting. Yeah. I, um, I can remember the, to say three or four teachers. I still remember their names. I actually stayed in touch with two of my high school teachers for a little while after after I graduated uh, college even. Got together with them for beers and stuff like that. My, my AP English teacher and um, my, my senior year math teacher because uh, they were just good dudes. Uh, liked, uh, and I, it, I've always felt like we, we sort of got each other. At least they understood me. So, so how did you get involved with Cyberry? Well, why don't we do like a little background of what Cyberry yeah, is? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Cybrary is a career development and training platform, uh, mostly focused on cybersecurity and IT professionals. Uh, the idea is that individuals can come on our platform and upskill um, or reskill to get a job in cybersecurity or IT. We have um, all of our training is really focused and oriented around jobs. So it's not training for the sake of training. It's training for the for this purpose of getting a job. Nobody comes goes to the gym just to go to the gym. They go to the gym for to health or, you know, muscle, whatever it is. Um, and so we sort of see training in that same light um, on the individual side. So it's it's really about getting the the skills that you need to continue in your career um, and get that guidance. We have a very, very good uh, community. Uh, strong community and mentors within that community. And so there's a lot of support and guidance there. Uh, and then we also have uh, on the enterprise side, we're able to sell into teams where managers want to provide the same sort of platform for their team uh, so that they can uh, align training to skills that their team needs to do their job at that company. Uh, and also gives them guidance and career within that company, which helps with retention, helps with onboarding uh, in any number of ways. And we're doing more and more around skill analysis and skill gap analysis uh, for teams to understand, you know, what's the makeup of your team, where are their holes, and how can you address those holes? That seems to be really popular too lately, the analysis of the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, that's how I look at my software development team. It's all, have, whenever I've built a team, it's always, you know, who's on my team, what are they kind of good at, and where am I sort of weak? That's what indicates who I need to hire next or potentially who to give training to or whatever it is. Um, so it, generally speaking, the the job descriptions I have for software engineers are usually fairly generic because it's really about who's on the team now and how does this person maybe fit into that. Um, same thing with data science. We recently hired a senior data scientist. And what I need, the role that I needed filled was was fairly specific, but I knew that there were all these other adjacent capabilities. And so whoever I got was going to have impact on the next hire I was going to make. Because if I get somebody who's more data engineering oriented, then my next person might be more data scientist. Um, 
conversely, more data scientists, more theoretical, then maybe the next person would be more data engineer. So um, sort of looking at a team more holistically is definitely a, something I've always done when building teams. And so it makes a lot of sense to me uh, at Cybrary to apply that same technique to any sort of technology team or engineering team. So how big was the company when you found Ryan and everyone over there starting it up? It was around 20-ish. I think, I think I was number 19 or so. So there was less than 20 people when I got introduced. And so what do you think about you stood out for you to, to rise up within the organization as it grew? Like, how did you go, go farther? I was really brought in. Uh, I had experience at a former company called Red Owl, where I had built an engineering team. And I think I was really brought in with that idea of having had that experience. Uh, that was something that was sort of lacking with regard to building out an engineering team and building out a product team. And so for me, it r- really hasn't been about rising as much as because I've sort of was hired to do that, to hire to do the position I'm in. Um, it's really been about filling in all you know those pieces, building out an, uh, an engineering team that's capable, building out a data science team that's capable of doing what we want to do, and then advising on you know uh, the type of product uh, managers we want to hire and stuff like that. Do you guys have like more of an emphasis on security because you are education and security? So yeah, so it's funny. Um, we don't consider ourselves an education company and we don't consider ourselves a cybersecurity company. However, uh, much of the rest of the world does, um, especially on the cybersecurity side. We have courses on SQL injection. We have courses on cross-site scripting. Those courses are big targets for SQL injection and for cross-site scripting attacks. Uh, people like to try out what they're learning and do it in real time on our site. So, uh, yeah, we take security fairly, uh, you know, very seriously. It's I think when I think about the data that we actually have, the risk uh, and, and and sort of how we protect it is probably way higher than it needs to be. But that's also because we have this reputational risk. Um, if people are like, oh, I was able to hack Cybrary, then uh, that sort of hurts us a little bit because you know we're not practicing what we preach. That being said, we're not a cybersecurity company. I have a very small uh, team, but we, we do take it very seriously. So you come in, you're in the first 20 employees, you're charged with you know building out an engineering team. What do you look for when building you know teams from scratch? Yeah, so in this case, um, this was my first time where I wasn't building a team from scratch. There were uh, five engineers, I think, four four engineers, I think, when I got here. Um, so it was a little bit of, a, again, assessing what their skill set was and then uh, building it out. So, but the same thing, I mean, when I look at engineers in general, um, it's more about character and personality, that type of stuff. Um, the years of experience and technologies that they know that more plays into how much am I going to pay you once you get the job or how are you going to fit in? Like, do I need that skill set? Um, but what I really look for is open-mindedness, self-awareness. Uh, those are the two really big, most important things. Um, I feel like if you are, and then thirdly, uh, critical thinker, obviously, uh, good problem solving. So if you're open-minded and self-aware, you know what you know and you know what you don't know, uh, I find that those are the people that will learn anything and adapt very quickly and will be very solid engineers, very, you know, um, and will fit in and learn whatever needs to get learned, you know, whatever they need to learn. So today you guys have, you know, probably like 20 plus engineers. Uh, we have, uh, my team has 13 people, uh, and that includes data science, infrastructure, and software engineering. And then, so how do you go about like coaching those individuals to better their self-awareness and all of those core skills? Yeah, so I have one-on-ones. I I believe very strongly in scheduled one-on-ones. I used to be one of those like flyby managers who would just, hey, how's it going, pop by. And uh, my last job, there was somebody who was fairly adamant that we don't do it that way. I tried scheduled one-on-ones and found them very successful. So the scheduled one-on-one generally has a... A structure to it. Um, one of them is tell, having them tell me what's sort of going on, what they think could be going better, how I could be doing better, uh, and then there's an opportunity for me to reciprocate. So usually in those settings is when we find out things. Um, and I also have a very open policy. So more of the junior engineers take me up on the 
open policy in terms of like, hey, this is happening right now. Can you give me some help? Um, and I think having given them help, listening to their feedback and actually incorporating it and following through on some of the things if they say, I'm, you know, they would like to see me doing something differently or stop doing this and I do it, it that builds up that trust, right? We have this nice two-way street. And so I think they feel very comfortable coming to me um, with whatever's going on. And then I can sort of pull back from my experience uh, and give them, you know, some ideas. Frequently it's around communication. Um, that's, I feel like m- much of my job is marriage counseling. Um, so, you know, um, it's, it's usually some sort of, you know, one-on-one conversation or one-on-two situation where it's like, well, I can, you know, let's peel this back a little bit and see, what they heard versus what you thought they versus what you were trying to say. And then sort of go over the idea of like, usually it's best to start with your intention. What are, why are you talking to this person um, is usually a great place to, to start to make sure the conversation goes in the right direction and they know what's going on. The other one that I like to point out, especially now that we're all working remote and there's so much that's asynchronous communication over Slack is, you know, never ascribe to malice what incompetence can explain or never ascribe, you know, don't, and also just assume that they're trying to do the right thing. Um, don't read too much into the the words. Usually it's being terse, um, not being mean. And so trying to, to just read things in the most positive light rather than in these very negative lights that will sort of get you more riled up or upset. Yeah, it's weird how that happens, right? It's like the default is almost to read read it like negatively. And then, yes. you know, and it's interesting how humans will process their current, project their current state onto what they're reading. It's like you get someone yes. who's, who's like really positive and happy and they read that and they're like, okay, I understand that information. Like transmission received. And you get someone who's like in a really bad mood and they, they read it, they'll just project that negativity right onto it. So it's like a hard, it's a hard thing to do because you don't have that human's energy projecting it with the tones and it's just subject to your own impression. Yeah, voice is very hard to read. Um, it's very sarcasm, it's tough, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, totally agree that a lot of it is your own mental state. What are you bringing to the table? Um, and I think terseness is one of the biggest causes of people thinking that the other person is saying something somewhat negative and it's no they're just trying to be brief and you're and they're they're sort of leaving out many of the pleasantries you would normally see in a written communication that if they were talking to them they would they wouldn't bother with because they you know you can sort of hear it in their voice um, and read into their body language yeah it's like i was making my language efficient like i do with alexa because i know she's interpreting it into text (laughs) and so i just try to use as few words as possible in the right order so that she could process it correctly but if you do that with a human you get an adverse reaction (laughs) yeah if you do it with your wife (laughs) (laughs) it's double bad (laughs) i remember like it's so tough for me uh i've been like writing code for you know 15 plus years and Mm -hmm. Going, coming off of like coding binges and then interacting with like a significant other, it's like you're you're sitting there for for multiple hours a day, being as short and succinct as possible with the computer, commanding it what to do, and then mm-hmm. you disengage from that to go interact with a human. And it's like this, it's a physical. Like I did this thing where I stopped programming before talks. Like I won't program before talks because it literally you can feel your brain shift into a different gear when you're when you're problem solving deep problem solving all day so for me mm-hmm. at least and this is completely subjective right like <laughs> right for me i just i can't do it like a, if i have to give a talk or if i have to be extra personable i'm not programming like or doing difficult problem solving uh right before those social interactions because it's just too hard that's interesting yeah. that's interesting because i almost feel like uh in some ways the opposite for me i like to sort of unplug from other people and get be able to focus on a problem. And I think it depends, for me, it really depends on, am I solving the problem or am I just fighting with it? Because definitely if I'm just fighting with a problem, then it's certainly not going to put me in the best of moods. But if I get that sort of sense of accomplishment, then I think it puts me in a better space. And so uh, as opposed to uh, meeting with people and talking to people, which generally just results in uh, more meetings and more, you know, not, not very many decisions or a feeling of accomplishment. It's very 
rare that you walk out of a meeting feeling like you accomplished something. So, so for me, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. Um, I'm trying to think back in my career. Uh, it's been a long time since I've done actual development. Most of my time is spent in meetings. Well, <laughs> so, I was I was thinking more about yeah. like before I have to give a talk, like a like mm-hmm. a, like a meetup or like an event or something. I notice if I'm programming before that, my mind's in a different state. But yeah, it, you know what's you know what's really helped me with the meetings, adopting that like Amazon. You have to write it out principle, because mm-hmm. when you have you come across that yet? I mean, we've I've I've certainly seen it. Um, I tried to uh, do that at my last company. It was not adopted. Um, we haven't really had a need for it here. I actually feel like most of our meetings are fairly efficient, um, even if you know they're not even if they don't always frequently feel you know end in that sense of accomplishment but i still yeah but i am familiar with the the concept i'm curious what your experience with it was amazing it's hard (laughs) it's hard it's like it's like talking about going to the gym and getting ripped it's like everybody Mm -hmm. would like that result but if you have to put in the work consistently to get it it's just like it's it takes effort but you get a better result because when you can read that out we use it for like hard decisions or when doing new things like or approaching a new part of the market or how are we adjusting our business because of the crisis you know you have to put like a background you just write it out and you know cite your research and like you just build this whole multi-page narrative and then you let the other person read it and then the questions that they ask are like in-depth questions and you basically read this whole thing and then what comes out of it is basically task assignment like are we going to move forward with it yes what are the to-do items you know, and then task assignment. And then the meeting's basically just like a a group of people coming together to execute the project and they leave and it's all really clear. Yeah, no, uh, it sounds, sounds amazing. I think it also would probably help with um, one of the things that we've noticed since the shut, you know, since everybody's working from home, uh, we didn't write a lot of things down. There were a lot of decisions made in conversations. And so that sort of, it becomes much harder to track and now that we're all working from home, you can't easily have those conversations. Um, I think writing more things down and, and moving more towards that would would help. I think we do that for those really large initiatives. There's definitely a, a sense of um, doing that work, but we generally do it more collaboratively. But I do like the idea of um, you know sort of have, sit down, write it all out, think through some of the things that because if you. Um, if you do take that time, you're naturally going to think about some of the things that you need to think about. And it's going to, I, I like that idea a lot. We'll have to, I'll have to see how I can uh, try and get it, get that going here a little bit. So one of the things that we're asking as like recurring topics right now on the show to different you know, engineering leaders is for, for your direct reports, do they have like budgets for their own education like if they want to do something or is it centralized at the organization? How does that work? So we don't have a formal process uh, for that. What we're usually doing, if there's something they want, they can come and talk to me and I'll, you know, we make the, we sort of make a business case for why it's important uh, and then get the, get the money. If it's going to cost money uh, frequently, it doesn't. And there's a lot of, I, th- I think my team does a pretty good job of uh, finding some really good resources um, online uh, from similar companies to us. So, but yeah, there's not a, there's not a set budget. So like if they want to take like a communication course that was like $400 or something, they would uh, come to you and they would say, hey, I want to take this communication course. Can we get it approved? And you would create a business case around it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd probably also work with um, our director of people. Uh, oh, cool. to, to also so that we can also yeah I work very very closely with her um, on a lot of things because I what I'd like to have is more standardized processes so if we do a thing like let's make sure that this is repeatable if we if we're going to pay for somebody f- to take a communication course for some reason you know for example then you know we're probably we should probably make sure that we're going to do this for other people who can make some more business cases we don't want everything to be a reinvention of the wheel every single time you're an engineer that likes building processes and systems what <laughs> Crazy. Uh, <laughs> repeatable, scalable things excites you? What? <laughs> oh, man. No, that's, yeah, I was talking with one of the engineering level two managers. Not exactly sure what that means. But I was talking <laughs> with him the other day, and uh, he was discussing like about how 
uh, he in his one-on-ones, what, what he'll do is he'll work with one of his direct reports and say, you know, what are two areas that you want to work on this quarter? And maybe it's like public speaking, which would be like a communication thing, or uh, you know, selling your ideas to others, so like maybe like an influencing thing, uh, you know, persuasive course and persuasion. And so he would take those two things and then they'd basically be in a spreadsheet or something. And then they would revisit them meeting over meeting uh, over the course of that quarter, find some goals. And he would begin to coach him on like, hey, you should do this meetup over here. And he would help, he would basically be like a partner or a pair in moving that uh, skill forward. Have you experimented with anything like that? Uh, so, I mean, in terms of career, I do like to check in um, in the one-on-ones at least quarterly on what is it that you're trying to do. And then we sort of track it and we talk about it. And then, um, but nothing as as formal as, as what you're describing. Um, but yeah, we definitely talk about more. The one-on-one, we make sure that, you know, Every two or three, we're definitely talking about more strategic things rather than those sort of tactical what's happening now. It's like, hey, let's take a step back. Do you have interest in becoming more of a senior engineer? These are the skills you're going to need. And this is how we're going to find opportunities within Cybrary to to get you that that um, that experience and so that you can make a, an informed decision as to whether or not you want to go that route. And then if there's reading or other things, other resources, you know, we definitely recommend that as well. Um, podcasts to listen to, stuff like that. Yeah. Modern CTO podcast. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, look, I just plugged my podcast on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so what I have been noticing now as a trend with talking with different engineering leaders and is that things really change when you get to around like 70 managers at the company. And mm-hmm. that's typically when people start getting really hungry for career development. And then before that, it's it's there's not like a lot of formal processes to it. It's it's more relaxed. Um, partly because I guess they're just engaging more. Like you have 13 people on your team, you're definitely engaging with them a lot more than if you had 200 people on your team. Exactly, yeah. And I think you'd want them, there's got to be more formalized process for the, so that there's more consistency, right? You don't want people to have such different experiences within a company. You want to try and make sure that there's that sort of cultural fit. And that goes back to um, what I was saying earlier about the structured one-on-ones and where that came from. Um, at my last job at Red Owl, there was myself, a senior engineer, and another engineer hired. Uh, he became CTO. I became VP of engineering. Uh, we were both responsible for managing engineers. He was up in New York. He met, you know, and so he had those uh, developers as direct reports. I was in Baltimore. I uh, had those developers as direct reports. But we wanted to make sure that we were managing people consistently. Um, and I think having those formalized processes is important. But yeah, when you're smaller, when you you have 13 people, they all directly report to me for the most part. And so it is a lot easier to be a little less formal. Uh, But yeah, as we grow, as, as, you know, as I bring in managers who are um, really managing people, then there will definitely be a little bit more formalized uh, just for that consistency reason. Yeah. I've I've also been asking if, if like you have any favorite one-on-one softwares or if you just do it through booking a recurring event or, yeah, it's booking a recurring event, and then um, uh, and that recurring event has the agenda right in there of the. This is our st- unless we have something else to talk about. This is what we're going to talk about, and you know, sort of to re- make sure to reinforce it. Um, and also, one of the other things I think is really important in one on one is to talk about personal stuff. Um, it's not just you know I care about my people, I care what's going on in their lives, um, and so it's also just a chance to sort of catch up and and you know sort of um, connect. Right. Yeah. Connect. Yeah. Sorry. All of the words that were coming to mind were not the words I wanted to <laughs> to use. No, I just read your face. <laughs> uh, yeah, people are like, "What?" It's like, "Yeah, guys, we do the. It's a podcast, but we also are connected on Zoom." You know. Right. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I get it. Honestly, I get it because, like, I'll be walking around my house outside of work hours, and I'll just be like, oh, "I wonder if Jake's wife is like having a surge in sticker orders from her." company you know because right. i saw my kids with stickers and they happen like a holidays coming up and so uh you know just weird stuff like that because you just can't it's like there's our mind doesn't really know the boundaries it's like we just have relationships with other people yeah exactly i mean for me um very recently uh one of my developers tim his wife is a hairdresser now 
with what's going on. Like, Hey, how are things going? How are you dealing with that? Um, cause I know, you know, uh, that she's definitely impacted. Right. So it makes, it, it just makes things it, understanding what's going on in people's lives. Um, not just because I care and because I, you know, it's also just helpful to give insight into maybe some other things that are going on at work and, and being able to make sure that they're getting what they need. We'd like to have a very flexible sort of place that's built on, you know, sort of mutual respect and understanding of, Hey, you know, sometimes we need more. Sometimes your personal life needs more and we want to have that uh, healthy give and take there. Yeah. This is my, my hair is all grown out from, this is like, covid this is uh being yeah. stuck inside beard yeah. <laughs> yep <laughs> and the hair and everything it's just like my, my wife calls me a manimal now she's like <laughs> half man half animal i was like thank you very much getting back to the roots you know yeah, there you go yeah no my hair's definitely uh, getting a little long i uh, uh texted my barber the other day to see how she was doing <laughs> yeah i know all my all i have a recurring event and they all got canceled and I said, uh, I was talking with my, my stepsister and she was telling me that, um, that there's like in DC or wherever she's at, uh, there's like underground speakeasy style hair, hair cutting happening. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I know. Well, you have kids. Yours, yours are, how old are they? So, uh, 13 and 10. Okay. I've got younger ones. I've got three and one and a half. Yeah. No, I don't envy you. Yeah. Uh, my kids are pretty self-sufficient at this point uh, and a lot of fun. So, yeah. Although, you know, teenagers, we're getting there. So <laughs> that's a whole nother, a little, <laughs> it's a whole nother, it's a whole new level. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting is we're, I was ta- for some reason, Jake and I were talking for like 20 minutes before the show today. So mm-hmm. we were talking about like being back in the day and, and computers and things like that. And one of the things that like escapes my mind, but got brought back into it today is, the internet is a public space. Like, mm-hmm. We were 13 year olds screwing around on the internet, not, you know, pushing all the buttons we wanted to do, testing the securities that we wanted to test. Like that doesn't go away. Now you just have it more. It's just amplified more. It's just, I was like the only kid that, that I knew that would like recreationally like spend time on the computer. Right. I just find this, I, I recreationally spent time on the computer as well, but it was all, you know, I grew up a little bit earlier than you. So, uh, well, how old was, are you? Uh, so 46. Okay. Yeah. So you look young, dude. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, time is good um, to you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only person who's ever said that. So thank you. Um, I think that's how old I am. Uh, yeah. Anyway, 45, 46 somewhere. You start to lose count once you have kids. Um, but yeah, so I mean, my first job was in 1996 uh, writing web forum software where we could make actual, mo- like real money selling web forums. This is before cookies, before SSL, before, you know, the, the really, really early days of the web. Um, and so I think back to like when I was in middle school and high school and the idea of like, oh, my friend up the street has a modem and we could potentially figure out some way for his computer to call my computer so that we can play some flight simulator, you know, one-on-one against each other. And even that was like, never happened. We could never get it to work. And, um, and, and talking to my parents about like, Hey, can we get like prodigy or something like that? And my mom was like, what is that? No. (laughs) So so I didn't really get um, exposed to like the internet until I got to college in 93. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. 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 I, Definitely about a couple years after you, but <laughs> my, I, my stories are more like uh, when we, before Xbox Live, when we had this thing called Xbox Connect, where mm-hmm. where you could network your Xboxes over the internet. And if you go back even farther, you know, I remember the browser wars. I definitely, because my dad, see, I got lucky because my dad was an engineer. My, my brother and sister okay. didn't show interest in the computer, but he'd bring the computer, like we had a computer at the house and he would bring all home his old ones because he'd have his new ones at work and so i got in like really early to the computer game and uh you'd give me little small programming tasks to keep me busy so i spent a lot of time there and for some reason i just latched onto it like i just felt so good being able to type something and then write a program and having it like automate Mm -hmm. and that was just beautiful for me and so it's just that creation aspect and you know when you're when you're eight, 10 years old, like what else are you going to create with? Like you're, you're not allowed to use a saw, you know? (laughs) 
Maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe when maybe maybe when you grew up, old man. <laughs> exactly. In a more rural area, I grew up uh, on a you know it was a little more rural. We had uh we had saws and 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 stuff, but uh yeah, definitely not at eight. But yeah, yeah, I had similar experience. My dad, um, it was funny. He's not he's not an engineer by any means. He's uh, but he was all he's always like our family has always always had like the latest technology. He sort of would bring it home, and he's not. It's it's just funny because he doesn't really use it, but he still bought it. Like it was just this weird thing, and so we had a PC really early on. We had um, I still remember one of our first computers was the uh, Basies 108, which was interesting because it could actually boot both Apple and DOS. It was like a dual boot machine, uh, so you could run both operating systems. You could play games. It was mostly compatible with both. Um, it was like ninety nine percent compatible with both. And so I spent a fair bit of time like writing basic and doing things on there, but growing up in a more rural area, you're sort of, um, and without the internet, you sort of are a little more locked into uh, what you can figure out on your own and maybe coming across one or two scraps of code from, you know, from some friends who know somebody or whatever. Yeah. The education content, the quality and availability of educational content is just tremendous now because it used to be like you would read a manual and try mm-hmm. to figure things out. And that manual would be printed and it would come out every once in a while and there'd be a new update. And like, that was it. But there was the emergence of the category. And then you then you got like some great writers. Like I'm a big fan of like the Martin Fowlers of the world. And you mm-hmm. get some, you know, great engineering writers that just not only do, do they show you the examples of the code, but they'll actually explain it to you like a like the Feynman technique like you're a child and they give you examples that you can remember Sandy Metz is like using references of her bicycle for the Rubyist people out there and it's just this really really great and then now we've gone from great written content to now great video content and interactive consoles like you know you guys have or you guys have mm-hmm. that right you're like an interactive yes. learning yeah Yep, you have great interactive learning where you can try stuff right there. Uh, it's just it's a beautiful it's a beautiful way that the world. And then once Elon Musk finishes his neural net interface, brain interface, we'll just be able to download patches. And I'm looking forward to that as well. <laughs> Brave new world. Uh. <laughs> it's not that far off. If you look at like where we've come since 2000, like with our mm-hmm. educational materials, and just say bounce that out a hundred years. Oh yeah, we've got neural net stuff. Yeah, probably stuff I don't like thinking about too much. Why not? But yeah, get some leaf download. Download some leafs content right here. <laughs> right, right <laughs> into my head. Yeah, library patch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, you you're thinking about it. I see your gears turning. What do you think about? The oh no, future? I definitely. Yeah, no, I definitely think about it. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of those. There's always this like health like. <sighs> Unintended consequences is always my big thing, right? So when I think about, um, it's funny, I've recently, only recently really have gotten behind the idea of uh, fully automated cars, uh, like uh, driverless cars. Uh, in the beginning, it was like, well, I love driving. I'm very focused when I'm driving. Like, I enjoy this. This is something. Uh, but the more and more I realize that, like, so many other people around me aren't that way. Uh, and the, like, the, the sort of used to be that I had this thought of like, well, I know how hackable car, you know, computers are and car, you know, the security and like all those fears. But the the reality is that we probably will greatly reduce the number of accidents because as technology increases and people are getting more distracted and so on and so forth. So when I think about things about the future, I can't help but think about sort of those unintended negative consequences and and so, and sort of grasp onto that of like, what does it mean if I download some sort of patch um, and, you know, and teach it and I learned something, what does that mean? Is it, and then what can it possibly do uh, to my memories and, and who I am? We're going uh, to the cloud. Those bro. are the thoughts that I have. What was that? We're going to the cloud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Who is that guy over at Google? That's all about that. Uh, which is with his dad. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people that are like pro cloud brain initiative, and uh, I think it's interesting. I wouldn't hate it. I actually have learned to enjoy life. <laughs> like I think in the future, being able to be on Earth, like walking around in a human body, and like being able to go farm like manual labor, will be considered something like rich people can do. Like use their body, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a certain extent as that, that is right now of, um, you know, you look at certain areas of in cities and places like that, where being able to do those types of things is definitely not accessible. Um, and so for me, I, I grew up, as I said, like in a more rural area, um, grew up with horses and, uh, and Dude, me you know, too. chickens. Oh, did you? Yeah. 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 I, I, um, so yeah, so it's, so I definitely have that, like, I enjoy the outdoors. I enjoy getting away and getting away from a computer and getting away from technology, go fishing, do stuff like that. But yeah, I definitely agree that at some point in the future, in this very highly tech future, there'll be this idea of like fishing will be this, yeah, this thing that's a, that only rich people can afford to do in some way. Real fishing. Um, in a human real fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fishing. You could digital fish all day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Digital fish all day. You could digital fish all day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, depending on how you spell fish, you can digital oh, fish no. right now. <laughs> there we go. Security pun. Here we are. <laughs> Couldn't resist. I'm a dad. Dude, let's do it. Let's do it. We'll do it all day. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't know. The future is definitely bright. Our monkey brain is like default programmed to fear what we don't know, right? Like that's just like our default right. state. And then one of the things that got me over the fence with um, the digital driving is I've got a lot of friends that are pilots and they, mm-hmm. they explained to me, like com- I've got two of them that are actually like commercial pilots. And he explained to me, like he flies, one of them flies for Delta, like international flights, explaining me how the computer systems work and how they're doing most of the flight and how they're set up in this like triad with the, the computers making the decisions and essentially like voting on the decision. And it's really interesting how it's all set up. But the fact that like most of our virtually all the commercial flights have been operating like this for over a decade. You know, that's unbelievable. It's yeah. For me, it's, it's not, it's, I have no fear of a future where it's 98% automated, you know, driverless cars or whatever. It's that in between state that I wouldn't say I, I don't worry about, but I just think like, I don't think people are really understanding all of the, like all these, like, I don't know that people, and they and they certainly certainly the decision makers are, but I, I always wonder about those sort of what what are the consequences of this decision and what it's not so much fear as much as just sort of morbid curiosity of like what could go wrong. Um, everything and, <laughs> exactly <laughs> right, everything right, and that's the same thing that we've already learned. Like a fully automated car is way better. I would much I would feel much better if my car either did everything or nothing. Like I don't like that. Like sometimes my car can't anticipate or understand, you know, the, the ones that have some of the more safety features, it's great, but it might not anticipate what I'm trying to do to, I've, I've perceived the danger and I'm handling it this way. And now we're in a different situation because the car and the, and the driver don't necessarily agree on how best to handle the situation. Um, so yeah, there's no like new driver school. You can go pick up a Tesla and it has like the auto. Have you, have you driven the Tesla with the assistive driving? No, dude, it's crazy because it's it's kind of like <laughs> what you're saying. So I did a test drive right. with like the X, the Model X, mm-hmm. and went on the interstate, and he's like, "Okay, you double click and like press down, and like you do." You, he showed me the gesture essentially that you do mm-hmm. to get it to go into this mode, and then he explained to me like all the different settings, and he's just iterating through like numerous settings and features and availability for, to set this up, and I'm like. And I got it. Like it was pretty intuitive, and I and I got it, but I couldn't help but thinking like. I, and like, how do I say this up? I want to make sure I choose the right words. There is a spectrum <laughs> of intelligence <laughs> in the world. And I feel subjectively as if I'm over the 50% mark, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe 51%, right? And the top 50%. But that means there's 3 billion people <laughs> right. who are in the sub 50%. And they too will also be operating these machines. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting to see how it all uh, it all plays out. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Ford, dude! I got to have oh man, you know those moments like in in your career when you're like really excited. I got to have the uh, the CTO of Ford come on and discuss how they did the uh, made the shift to do like the ventilators and everything mm-hmm. for the for the COVID because that's like talk about a digital transformation, right? It's like right, right, cars to that. 
And uh, dude, they've got this new Mustang SUV thing that's digital, and it looks like the Tesla. I I think I accidentally said that to him too, but I was like, "Oops!" But (laughs) I would. would This looks like you copied that straight up. It's awesome. (laughs) Please do and make it more affordable. (laughs) Like I want, I want everybody to do it. Like everybody should have a badass looking. It's almost like we deserve it because for all those years, all those car companies put out the nerdy looking electric vehicles. That was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know how to ask him that question though. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to be like, why can't somebody design a good looking like e-car that's not Tesla? And then in my research, before I asked him that question, I saw their new Mustang thing coming out. I was like, they nailed it. They they absolutely nailed it. Uh, I think they did such a good job. You should, you should look it up after the call. I'm definitely going to look it up. Yep. Yeah. The guy was like, you should buy one. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fine. I don't know. We yep. got we got off topic though. But if you make those cars, like somebody's going to make like a, a Linux version or like a Red Hat version where you can actually do the operating system, and that's where I think one of the biggest issues is going to be, because when they're not closed systems, when you can start making apps for them and things, they're like already that, not closed systems. They're not. No, I mean cars in general are not a closed system. Um, one of the best uh, Black Hat like talks that I went to were from the car hacking guys, and I have a friend who. Um, sort of part-time consults to Detroit on some of that and another friend who's working on similar stuff, but not for cars, but for other parts of the infrastructure. And no, they're not, I mean, they're, they're close. They're, they're supposed to be closed systems, but you can definitely get in there and you can do things. And there's lots of people like you take the, um, if you remember the Volkswagens that had the, like that were cheating on the EPA tests, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can go in and you can, you can get those, you know, you can get one of those cars that's been, and they've been retrofitted with whatever to make them legal again. Um, but you can totally go in and, and change the, the firmware and other, whatever you want to call it. You can put other chips in there and you can get it to do what you need it to do. And then you can also, I mean, you can still continue to cheat where it knows that it's in EPA mode, whatever, and, and sends the right information on so that you can continue to drive your really fast, um, uh, car that doesn't meet emission standards. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> wonderful! <laughs> exactly, and so um, right. Those are the when I think about the unintended consequences. It's just a matter of time before some guy figures out how to have car to car transmission of information of like, "Hey, I'm an emergency vehicle. Get out of my way!" When they're really not an emergency vehicle, and there's no reason for you to get out of their way other than this guy figured out how to hack that uh, that part of the car to to send that send that message to the cars around them. Oh wow! I didn't even think about that. And then it just spreads. see unintended con- right? Yeah. See unintended consequences. Probably will come out <laughs> of some uh, automobile software research lab in Wuhan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, no, so you know, it makes me. It does make me think, though. Like, could I? buy a Tesla and plug into its computer system and, and write code on it. And, and do you know what that's based on, by the way, just off the top of your head as like a consumer? No, I don't. I mean, I it's all, either. my guess is it's all C, but I mean, it's a message bus. It sends messages. Everything's, there's no direct connections, right? So um, the wheels are listening to a message bus and I'm definitely out, you know, ahead of my skis. Like I'm sure there's lots of really uh, talented car people that would, correct me but there's a message bus and the and there's all these different computers within the car that are sending messages consistently like the wheels are saying like i'm driving 90 miles an hour i'm driving 90 miles an hour i'm driving 90 miles an hour i'm facing this direction and so you if you can just get messages on the bus that's all it takes to to get things to go so that was one of the one of the original problems with the, the one of the original car hacks was like you could actually dial in because cars had um, like the OnStar type stuff um, or whatever it is. In order to do that, they had a they have a car phone. There's a phone inside the car. It doesn't have an. It has a number. You don't know what it is, but if you can figure it out, you could call it. It would answer, and then you could like do things to take control of it. Um, and they fixed all that. Like everything's much much better now. But yeah, it's just a message bus. So my guess is you could write it in any language. You just have to know how to format the message for the other computers to be able to understand it. Oh, it's true. That's interesting. Yeah, and then I, at one point, you know, one of these cars is going to come out with like an app store where like you can <laughs> actually like write code for it and deploy your app to the car. 
Right. I mean, it would be great if I could explain to my car that like, yeah, instead of like braking, I like to really accelerate around the accident rather than getting <laughs> trapped uh, by the, the emergency vehicles that are bound to come up on the scene. <laughs> I was thinking like entertainment stuff. <laughs> right <laughs> i was thinking like entertainment but yeah we could do that too <laughs> or it's like a whole new a whole new world of people that will like modify cars right you have like the fast and the yeah. furious you know timeline of those people that are putting like the nos and all those things in their cars and right then you're gonna get computer hackers on the cars um they're gonna be doing crazy things with real wheel rotations or whatever it may be exactly oh i could like press a button and then it does like some specific type of like figure eight burnout. Like people there are gonna you go. do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yep. 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 Or or a bunch of friends get together and we can do some choreographed dance with our cars. That's funny because I had the exact same thought as soon as you said yes. um like have a car do a thing. It's like, oh no, why don't we do it as a group? And then it's like some Olympic event. <laughs> we should do a cybrary dance off. With like all the employees' cars, eight of them, and we'll we'll do a dance off with another company. There you go. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I think we're supposed to be talking about uh, technology leadership stuff. <laughs> Anything else? We want to plug Cyberry. So if you need cybersecurity certificates, or you can probably plug it better than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's not just certificates. I mean, you can definitely if you're uh, looking to train up and 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 prep for uh, certification, by all means, come on our platform. But we, we really see ourselves as uh, getting skills and, and keeping those skills current. Um, and yeah, so if you're looking for that opportunity or you need, uh, you're looking for a platform for your team, maybe your training budget is being, uh, was allocated towards in-person training and you're looking for more on-demand training, we're definitely available for that. Perfect. Amazing. And yeah. then if people want to find out more about you, probably hunt you down on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yep. Um, or uh, there's, there's. Uh, ever since I joined Cyberry, I'm now way more public facing than I used to be. Uh, so there's podcasts uh, and other things that are uh, linked to from uh, Cyberry.it. Um, in addition to every now and then, I'm really bad at personal self promotion, so you won't really find too much from me about myself on LinkedIn. But yeah, there's definitely stuff out there. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.